Good morning, good morning. How you doing? My name is Ron. I'm one of the pastors on the staff. It's so good to be with you today as we celebrate Easter week. Who's glad to be here on Easter week? Man, can't believe it's here. So here, you know, our spring break. I'm not sure what we call it now, but um, I can remember growing up, my dad would say to me, you always have an excuse. It didn't matter if it was chores or homework, or my dad would say, how come you didn't do what I asked you to do? And then he would kick it up a notch, and he would say, you are the king of excuses. I thought, well, that was pretty nice of him, but he, didn't, he meant it pretty derogatory and pretty sarcastically. I was the king of making excuses. I said, dad, I don't have excuses. I have reasons. How many of you have reasons, not excuses? We all do, right? We are ending a series called The Simplest Way to Change the World. And over the past couple of weeks, Pastor Andy gave us a challenge at the end of each message to do this. Learn a new neighbor's name this week. Invite them over or out for coffee or a meal. Now let me ask you, don't look at me, don't raise your hand. This is just a rhetorical question you can answer in your own mind. How many of you, when you heard the challenge over the last couple of weeks said, yeah, not me. I'm not going to do it. Not that I have an excuse. I have a reason. I've got a reason. Because all of us have reasons why we shouldn't or why we didn't. Solomon, the wisest person in the world, says there is nothing new under the sun. And he's right. If we look at Moses in the Old Testament, we find some of the oldest excuses in the book. Look at Exodus chapter 3. Moses protested to God, who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? And God answered, I will be with you. You see, Moses comes up with one of the oldest excuses in the book. I am incapable. I can't meet your challenge to go and meet Pharaoh. Many of us sat in this auditorium and we listened to Pastor Andy. We heard that challenge. Go and meet a neighbor. Learn their name. Invite them over. And we said, yeah, no, I'm not equipped to do so. We talk about our home. Our home is too small. Our home is too messy. I'm an introvert, not an extrovert. I don't want to go out there. People are going to think I'm weird. I think people are weird. We come up with every excuse. I don't have the bandwidth. I don't have the time to do so. I am so busy, and I don't have the time to do this, Andy. But what does God promise? God promises, I will be with you. When I'm with you, you and me, we make a majority, and we can change the world together. But Moses continues, Exodus chapter three, verse 13, he says, he protested, if I go to the people of Israel and tell them the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they will ask me, well, then what's his name? Then what should I tell them? God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, Yahweh, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, he has sent me to you. Here Moses is making another excuse. I don't have all the answers. I don't know what to say or what to, how to answer their questions. We might say the same thing. I'm gonna invite people over and we're essentially admitting that we might be ignorant to their questions. We need to share what we know, not what we don't know. And if we don't know, we go and we find the answer. We, we admit it, we go find the answer and then we give it. Now we have one more thing that we do know, one more thing in our, in our tool belt of knowledge the Bible only tells us, though, it's not about what's in your head. It's about what you have seen and what you have experienced. The Bible says, just be my witness. 
What has God done in your life? How has God saved you? And what have you seen God do? What have you experienced him do in life? Just be my witness. But Moses continues and he objects to God and he says, they won't trust me. They won't listen to a word I say. They're gonna say, God, appear to him hardly. Hardly, and I doubt it. Our excuse, no one's gonna believe me. I can go meet my neighbor, invite them over, and they're gonna think I'm some sort of project or something, or they're, they're, they're my project. And we're gonna go through all this, and basically, and essentially, we are admitting that we are inadequate. We don't have what it takes. Andy told us last week that each of us have a story. In fact, each of us have maybe even had a God sighting. Our story is that when God has come into our life, he has changed us. He has made us new. He has equipped us for eternity once we come to know him and believe in him. But also throughout our journey, we come with a story where we have seen God work. We have seen him work in the lives of people or in our own life. Maybe it's through your workplace. Maybe it's a spiritual um, um, intersection with God. Maybe it was in your education or a ministry opportunity or a family member or something painful occurred in your life or in someone else's life and you saw God work. We had a God sighting. My neighbor, my literal neighbor, the one that I share a fence with, our dogs go nose to nose on each side of the fence. We don't even say much to each other. They've, I've lived there 10 years. They've lived there probably six, seven, eight years. And you know, it's usually just a high by, we know them by name and that kind of thing. We've had a couple of interactions here or there. I'm sitting at home one day and I'm reading through Facebook, you know, just waste of time in life. Just scrolling through Facebook, Facebook, Facebook. Who cares, who cares, who cares more? And then boom. There's a post from my neighbor, the, the, the wife that lives there. She may be here this morning, and so I didn't ask her for permission for the story, but I'll, I'll explain to you what happened. She says in, in, the, in the post, okay, friends, it's time that I let you know what was going on in my life. She can't be but 40-something years old. She says, I've been diagnosed with stage four cancer of, of, of the worst kind, of the worst kind. She's waiting for test results to come back. She's going to get her port put in, receive her treatment. She's on her fourth chemo treatment. And I'm just reading this going, oh my gosh, she lives 20 feet from my door. And so my wife and Julie and I, we went over next door and knocked on their door and said, man, I'm, I'm just reading your post. I just want to know how, how are you? And we sat and we talked, we listened to their story and she's been through her fourth chemo treatment. She was in the shower, started to lose her hair. She put a kerchief on her head and She's been over the house several times just talking about God and, and, and weird things that Christians say and, and how, you know what, how do I navigate life? And she says, I, I wanna go to church. So absolutely, you know, how do we get you there? What do we do? She has three daughters, um, all under you know, middle school age and, and she got them ready and, and got the neighborhood kid, another neighborhood kid ready. She brought four girls to church. She navigated check-in. I mean, just navigating check-in in this place is, you know, amazing. It's like security. What's your blood type? Who's your parents, you know, ex? You know, you go through all this stuff. She navigated all the check-in stuff, got to church, experienced worship and, and the message. She said, I just needed, I needed to experience God. I thought, oh my gosh, I'm seeing God work in her life going, who of us has any excuse any reason not to reach out to someone else when here's someone who's basically got little time left on this planet and was able to rally herself together to say, God is going to be important in my life. 
Moses continues in Exodus chapter four, verse 10. He Moses pleads with God, oh Lord, I'm not very good with words. I never have been, and I'm not now. Even though you've spoken to me, I get tongue-tied, and I, my words get all tangled up. And we say, I'm gonna invite people over, and I'm, I just don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. Do we play you know, a game? Do we, do we you know, potluck? Do we, you know, I, I don't know what to do. I just don't know how to make this happen. Basically, say and admit we're inarticulate. We just can't use our words correctly. And God further promises by saying, Moses, who created your mouth? I will give your words to you. I will give you what to say. But fifth time, Moses now pleads, Lord, please send anyone else but me. Let someone else do it. Moses becomes insubordinate. Sometimes our response is, God, send someone else. I, I, I come to church and I hear Andy's challenge. Go meet a neighbor, take him to coffee, have him on. I, I don't want to do it. Someone else will do it. Let someone, someone in the church will do it. Someone will text it. Someone will share a story and I don't have to worry about it. We come up with our excuses or our reasons. Maybe we can identify with Moses. He not only uses an excuse, he uses all five of them at once before his God, challenging and pushing back before God. In the New Testament, there are some newer excuses that come about that may fit with many of you today. Look at Luke chapter 14. A man sitting at the table of Jesus exclaimed, what a blessing it'll be to attend a banquet in the kingdom of God. Jesus replied with this story. A man prepared a great feast and sent out many invitations. When the banquet was ready, he sent his servant to tell the guests, come, the banquet is ready but they all began making excuses. One said, I just bought a field and I I gotta inspect it. Please excuse me. And another said, I just bought five pairs of oxen and I wanna go try them out. Please excuse me. Another said, I now have a wife, so I, I can't come. The servant returned and told his master what they had said. His master was furious and said, go quickly into the streets and the alleys of the town and invite the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. After the servant had done this, he reported, there is still room for more. So his master said, go into the country lanes and behind the hedges and urge anyone you find to come so that my house will be full. For none of these, for none of those I first invited will get even the smallest taste of my banquet. Man, that is hard scripture over a a dinner invitation where people had a bunch of random excuses. And maybe we make some of these newer excuses today. Excuse number one was about new stuff. You see the person who said, I just bought a a piece of property. I gotta go see it. We we do that. You buy a new home or you get a new apartment or you get a new RV or or a boat or a car. And and some possession now takes all of your time. Because why? We have to pay for it. We gotta maintain it. We gotta fix it. We gotta enjoy it. And so it just squeezes out the margin of our time and we often allow possessions to interfere with our God assignment. God gives it to us, but now it takes all of our time. The second excuse that came from here is someone bought five oxen. I don't know the last time you bought five oxen, but this person bought five oxen. And basically it was his workplace. It was his work in which to perform. And he had to go try them out to make sure it was ready for Monday morning. And, And so he was gonna get some work done or at least get ahead a little bit and work a little bit extra so that he could relieve maybe some time next week, but that time never seems to come. And so what we do is we allow business 
to crowd out the claims of Christ. Say, I gotta make a living, and, and, and you do. And the, and the problem with you and I is one day we're gonna die and our, our business will go on without us. We say we have to do work around the house. I'm too busy you know, for Sunday morning. I gotta get some things done. It's been a busy week and I, I, gotta, I gotta clean the, and, and fill in the blank, or I, I gotta cut the, and, and you fill in the blank, or I, I gotta change the, and you, you fill in the blank. And we allow work stuff to crowd the claims of Christ. The, the third excuse that came here in the New Testament was, I just got married and I'm on my honeymoon. Now in the Old Testament, when you got married, you had a year off from work and from military assignments that so you could develop the relationship. But he was basically and essentially saying, oh, look, I, I'm married now. We don't even know if he was on his honeymoon. We don't even really know if he was at the end or at the beginning or where he was. Basically saying relationship was more important and began to take place of the mission. And so sometimes relationships get in the way. Our schedules just begin to get tighter and tighter and tighter. We get these, these little humans called children in our life and they fill up the time with soccer and dance recitals and back to school nights and events and activities. And so we just need a little bit of time for ourselves. We've just been on the go, on the go, on the go, on the go. And we make excuses or we have reasons. These people are rejecting the best and settling for second best. Now, don't get me wrong, there's nothing wrong with new stuff or work stuff or relationship stuff, but listen, if good things keep you from enjoying the best things, they can become bad things. Let me say it again to you. If good things keep you from enjoying the best things, they can become bad things. The simplest way to change the world oftentimes can just feel so overwhelming in today's culture. Each week, Pastor Andy gave all of these examples or calls to action. He talked about over the last several years having hundreds of you over to his home on Sunday afternoon. Sunday afternoon! I'm sitting here, can't wait till one o'clock to get home and get away from you. He's inviting you over. <laughs> Sunday afternoon? That's the Sabbath. I that's our time. That's the go time. That's do something different time. And he's having church people over? It's overwhelming. Then random neighbors he's talking about meeting, just kind of walking the neighborhood. Ding dong. Hi. <laughs> Invite them to coffee or for a meal. I don't know when they'll leave. He said, I'm going to take my barbecue and I'm going to drag it to the front yard and do a barbecue in my front yard. <laughs> I don't know if Andy's here or what's going on. Uh, wh why? Andy, you're just tall. You're, you're tall. And the, 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 you don't do barbecues in the front yard. That's what backyards are for. There used to be a culture of porches. We don't have porches. We go in the backyard. You don't drag a barbecue to your front yard. You, what are you doing? Mine is built in. I don't even know how to get it from the backyard to the front yard. <laughs> he didn't provide a website. Go to cornerstone.com forward slash neighbor. Here's 100 ways in which to meet your neighbor. 98 of them were overwhelmingly silly. Maybe one or two that, uh, okay. 
I just like getting home and pulling in the garage and shutting the garage door before I get out of the car. Because if I got out of the car or you don't have a place in which to park, a neighbor may come running over and need help. No, I don't want to help you. They want to move and they want to carry you to carry their boxes. No, it's why I don't own a truck. I have a two seat car. Wisdom says do not own a truck because you will have friends that you will never see ever and ever again. Our culture has changed. Hospitality used to be a thing in the past. I'm old enough to remember hospitality was important. Nowadays, I need a peanut-free, gluten-free, political-free, opinion-free culture, and it's overwhelming and exhausting. <laughs> Everybody over 40 is clapping. And everybody over 40 will understand this video because he says it the best. Comedian Sebastian, watch. It's a different culture. Hopefully the team edited out whatever they needed to. I don't know. Forgive, forgive me. Our culture is different. It's changed. The simplest way to change the world can just seem overwhelming today. And maybe we finally plead like Moses, I can't change the whole world. I mean, really, I can't change the whole world. So why bother? Let somebody else do it. I can't change the world. Can I say to you today? Yes, you can. You can change the whole world for one person. John chapter 17, verse 18, Jesus says, in the same way that you gave me a mission in this world, I give them a mission in this world. Jesus came to change the entire world and he depends on his people one by one to go change the world of someone else. He sent his son to die for the world. If you and I wanna see God's blessing on our lives, we must care about the one thing that he cares about and that's people. He gave each and every one of us a God assignment to change the world for one person. So I ask you the question this morning, who is your one? Forget about the hundreds, forget about all the neighborhood, forget about everybody, who's the one? Who is the one that you could change the world of? God happens to choose ordinary people like you and me with our excuses, with our reasons, with our weaknesses, with our failures to change a world one life at a time. Matthew chapter five, he says, you are the light of the world like a city on a mountain glowing in the night for all to see. Don't hide your light. Don't drive in and shut the garage door. Don't run from your neighbors. Let your light shine. Put it on a stand and let it shine for all. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. Let your good deeds shine. Random acts of kindness, small behaviors that lead to big opportunities that you and I as a follower of Jesus can be a light to someone's dark world. 
There is someone that you know that is in your circle, your sphere, that has been currently walking through a dark moment, a dark season, a dark experience. And God says, you have a piece of my mission to change the world one by one. Mark chapter 16, Jesus said to his followers, go everywhere in the world and tell the good news to everyone. That seems so big and so overwhelming as a mission or a purpose, but notice that he says it to his followers. He doesn't say it to pastors. He doesn't say it to missionaries. He said it to his followers. And if you are a follower of Jesus Christ and he expects you to tell the good news that is within you, So who is your one? Who is on your hope for heaven list? Who is the one that once you receive the eternity that you receive, once you experience the kingdom of heaven, that you will be able to look around and see the one rather than know that the one who is under your care, under your mission, under your purpose is not there because you had an excuse or you had a reason. Who is on your hope for heaven list? In this post-Christian world, you might be thinking people are not interested in spiritual matters anymore. It feels that way anyway. But George Gallup took a survey and he discovered that 65 million Americans have no church home. He discovered that 34 million of those Americans said, I I would go to church if someone invited me. 34 million Americans are just waiting for an invitation. Who is your one? Who is on your hope for heaven? My guess is that some of those people you work with, you live with, they're your friends, they're your neighbors, or they're your relatives. And you have been given the challenge that needs to supersede any excuse or any reason that you could conjure up. It is Palm Sunday, as Pastor Aaron indicated earlier. And on Palm Sunday, Jesus was acknowledged and honored and revered as the King of the Jews. And he was on mission and he was heading towards Jerusalem to the temple. And for any king, they would not let their feet touch the dirt. And so they would take the cloaks off their back and they would lay him down as Jesus rode this colt who has never ridden anybody before. And as Jesus entered into this city and walked across the coats of men and women, as they ran out of the coats, they would go into the valley and cut the palm leaves off the trees and lay the palm branches down because they loved him on Sunday and they revered him as king. And they would have it no other way because of what he said, what they saw, and what they experienced on Sunday. And oftentimes we come on Sunday for one hour and we're infused about who God is and what he's done and what we've experienced. But by the time we hit our car, it becomes like the week that's ahead of us. The most dark Weak for any human being to ever experience to his death on Friday. Those who loved him on Sunday and cried, Hosanna, by Friday they declared, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. The Bible says you and I, we have the simplest task in the world. It has to change the life of one person. 
It's a who's your one? Who is on your hope for heaven list? What is your excuse for Friday? We have a Friday service, Good Friday. Friday is my day off. We're doing Good Friday at five o'clock. Oh my goodness, there's the whole day gone. But we're gonna come Friday and we're gonna sing, and we're gonna hang out, we're gonna pray, we're gonna be really low, we're gonna be really depressed. I like that we're believers, we know the end of the story. It may be Friday, but Sunday's coming. <laughs> and that's resurrection. Sunday's coming, we have a 740 service. <laughs> Who planned that? Who makes these decisions? I don't make these decisions. That's a sunrise service to any church, 740. And you say, well, I, no, I'm, I'm not gonna, that's too early. Woo, too early. The kids are a disaster, my husband's a disaster. No, the coffee place ain't even open. We'll go 1140, that's fine. Serve one on Easter? Got dresses and shirts and Easter baskets. Gotta get home, get to the ham. Excuses, reasons. What if I could remove them all for you? We're saying on Friday and on Sunday, we're gonna have the place clean, the carpets will be shampooed, there'll be enough chairs, there'll be a petting zoo, a donut wall, I don't know what that is, that's disgusting. <laughs> we'll give you an invitation, remind you of the time, something you could just hand someone, take a picture of it, send it by text. Whatever you gotta do, we'll remove all the reasons, all the excuses, because there's one, one who is on your hope for heaven list that needs to be invited to hear the good news. You have it, are you just gonna keep it and contain it? If you had the cure for cancer, wouldn't you scream it from the mountaintops rather than hold on to it? You have eternity. How many years do we get here? For some few, for some long? Some have longer than they should. I don't know how that works. We have the answer, and yet we close our garage door. We're not willing to go to the front yard. We're not willing to walk across the street. We're not willing to find the one and hand them an invitation. Some of you would know this as a starfish. This is actually just a piece of plaster, but represents a starfish. And actually, there's no such thing as a starfish, just so you know, it's a sea star. It can't be a fish because there's no scales, there's no fin, there's no gills in which to breathe. A fish would have a bloodstream. A sea star, its bloodstream is not of blood, but of seawater. So it needs to be in seawater in which to survive and to live. If outside of the ocean water, it'll only be a matter of time before it dies, a very quick matter of time. Oftentimes during big storms, the ocean can toss starfish up onto the beach. And there they sit waiting for their death because they need the seawater in which to live. And so there's a story of a business guy who was walking the beach after a big storm and there was a young boy looking at this starfish, the sea stars. And one by one, he would pick them up and he would fling them back into the ocean. So the businessman walked up to the kid and said, what are you doing? 
There's thousands of sea stars on the beach. There's no way you could save all of them. There's no way you can make a difference with all those sea stars. And as the boy listened, he picked up another one. He said, yeah, you're right. And he flung it into the ocean and he said, but I just made the difference with that one. Who is your one? Who is on your hope for heaven list that you can't stand even the thought of them missing heaven because you had an excuse or you had a reason. And so Father, this morning, as many of us acknowledge this Easter week of something that you had done for each and every one of us to create a place of forgiveness and a space for eternity. Lord, help us to share that good news with those that you put in our path. Let us choose one as our mission that we will not let the week go by without inviting them to a place of Good Friday where they understand the crucifixion, a place of Sunday morning where they sense and see the completion of the resurrection and they understand the power that is provided that we can call upon in which to live life this side of heaven with that resurrection power to defeat all of our excuses, to remove all of our reasons, that we might be a light on the side of a hill shining bright for you. God, we love you. We thank you for loving us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Have a great week. We will see you Friday or Easter Sunday. Enjoy.